welcome everyone to episode 43 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. My special guest this week is once again Travis Howes. So now this is part three of a three-part series. If you missed the first two, please go back and listen to them. Uh, they're all going to be related. You want to watch Star Wars out of order. You shouldn't do that either here. So once again, Travis, former U.S. Marine, firefighter, police officer, comedian, and also author of the Create Your Own Light, Finding Post-Traumatic Purpose, which is available now on Amazon. So on this particular episode, we're going to talk about Travis finally seeking help, even though it ended up being a little bit too late and he lost his job at Charleston Fire Department. We're going to talk about his battle of alcohol and also him getting into comedy, being actually pretty good at comedy, and then quitting comedy. And then his grand return to comedy, and also writing this particular book, which was a 10-year process that really, through thinking about it and actually then getting it down on paper. So without further ado, for the last time, I can't appreciate this guy enough for coming on and sharing his story, Travis Howes. All right, welcome back to the third episode on the 25 Live with Travis Howes. I say it right that time? You said it perfect, man. Couldn't you, perfect. I couldn't say it any better myself. <laughs> you sound like my birth certificate. <laughs> you have a talking birth certificate? I do now. Wow. Nice. If they could talk, that's what it would have sounded like. <laughs> so when we left, left off last time, we were we were just discussing, you know, kind of the aftermath of the um, Sofa Superstore fire. And uh, at what point did you, I mean, right away after that, were you starting to turn to the bottle? Or was there a kind of a period in between there? Uh, well, dude, let me tell you, I was no uh, stranger to the bottle because I was a fireman. That's what we do. We hang out. We drink. I was a cop. We drink. I was a Marine. We drink. I didn't have a problem, though. You know what I mean? Sure. I never had a problem until after the Sofa Superstore. After the Sofa Superstore, I had a fucking problem. Big time. And it was uh, it was everything I could do to uh, to numb whatever I was feeling, right? So if I had a day off, I was not drinking. I was getting annihilated. You know, with, we, we'd go out in the boat, have a good time, me and some other firefighters. We wouldn't just drink. I would get blackout drunk you know um when i would be alone at my house on my days off i would get blackout drunk uh i didn't realize it at the time that it was it was such a problem but i mean it became normal behavior that i failed to recognize um and what had happened you know i talk about this in my book how the sofa superstore fire wasn't necessarily the the one incident that messed me up, it was the lifelong traumas. And that one was just a straw that broke the camel's back. That was me filling my, um, my mental filing cabinet of traumas up and the, the, the cabinet was full and it couldn't take one more. And the sofa superstore is what caused it to tip over and everything spilled out. And then it was a lifelong scramble to collect all of those and kind of get them put back in the filing cabinet is if that makes sense. It does. Um, so yeah, it would get so bad. I'd start showing up to work and I, I would be not just hung over, but intoxicated and I would go sleep it off. And I was a, 
I was the assistant engineer of the largest ladder truck in our city. And I would have to go sleep off the night before, you know, and hoping we didn't catch a run. Um, and many times we did. And then that was just kind of putting my crew in danger by doing so. And that's not something I'm proud to say. We're, we're speaking very honestly about how bad this shit can get. Um, I found myself later, you know, putting my own life in jeopardy, trying to let fate take over uh, on multiple emergency scenes to, to include fires to where I was not only jeopardizing my life, my crew's life, not, not intentionally, but inadvertently, you know, and it was um, looking back on it. It was very selfish. That's why I speak out about this because if somebody else does that, they don't realize that they need help. They feel like their behavior becomes so normal. They're going to end up fucking hurting one of our own. And you think you can't live with whatever you're living with now, put that on your plate, you know? So nobody else deserves to, to be hurt because of, because of, uh, you know, our inability to accept whatever's happened and to be honest with ourselves and to get help. So that's kind of where my downfall started. It was, it was after that. How long, help me out with the timeline. How long, was that fire, you know, the final straw um, after you came back to the fire department? You mean, so when I left the police department, when I came back to the fire department? Correct. It was two, it was two years later. Okay. So I was at the fire department for two so years. You had two years of pretty good times. Oh, amazing. Amazing times. And then, it and then the fire. And then I stayed. Time. Then I stayed and then had stayed for two and a half years after that. Yeah. So, now, yeah. You had during that that latter part. I know you mentioned earlier. I I, forget, I think it was the first episode. You talked about having that gun in your mouth. Yeah. And you know what you didn't touch on is you actually talked to your mother. You called your mother. Yep. Would you expound on that, please? So I knew I was going to kill myself. Um, just to put it bluntly, and uh, I wanted to hear my mom's voice one last time and I was talking to her. I was crying. I was, I was extremely intoxicated and she knew from later conversations in life. Um, she knew that when we hung up that phone that night, she had a, a mother's intuition that I was going to hurt myself, but she didn't really want to pry too much out of fear that I, I definitely would have, you know? Um, but yeah, I had a gun in my mouth that night and I was test firing it, uh, with, with no ammo. And then I loaded it and I was ready to go once I built up the nerve to do it. And, uh, I stuck it in my mouth and pulled the trigger, but it didn't go off because I let off of the trigger right before it got to that point, you know? Um, and I realized that I needed help. I'm sitting here crying, gushing tears with a fucking gun in my mouth slobbering on it with a whiskey bottle you know what i mean it's not a pretty scene um and i know i needed help and so that's when you know, we, we already spoke about that i reached out to get help at what point in time did comedy come into play uh, i started doing comedy because it was right around that time correct me if i'm wrong yep you saw uh live from gotham yeah, so I was at I was at home. And this is in two thousand and eight. I was watching live at Gotham, and uh, I just felt like I needed to try to do something different in my life, something that interested me. Remember when we spoke about why did you go into law enforcement? Because it interested me, and I had to know. 
I was watching live at Gotham and I was watching these guys on stage and I was like, dude, I can do that. I, I can make people laugh. Like I've been doing it my whole life. And I told myself right then, I said, I'm going to get on that TV show, that, that show. And I knew right then that's what I was going to do. I didn't know how I knew nothing about writing jokes and actually doing them, performing them. I just, I was just that guy that made people laugh all the time. So I broke out a pen and a pad, started writing some shitty jokes. And before I knew it, it turned into what it turned into. And I'll be damned if years later I didn't get on that exact same show. Was that like, uh, you know, Andy Kaufman always talks about Carnegie Hall. Right. That was, that was your Carnegie Hall. Is that, is that fair to say? I don't know if you can compare that to Carnegie Hall, but for me, um, I, I know you're not comparing, but in it, I would say so because it was a live television performance of me doing what I worked so hard to do for so many years. Mm-hmm. And, and I did it. I got to do it on live television, not recorded. Uh, you know what I mean? It was live. My parents watched it live from their home. This was in New York city and I was on the world stage for five short minutes, you know, on the comedy's world stage, if you will. And that was the first time I'd made it on television. So yeah, it'll always be a very good memory for me. So you were doing comedy as basically your side job as a firefighter because you're still an active Charleston firefighter. Still a fireman. But just but like uh, a lot of us, you know, uh, you know, mowing lawns, uh, plumbers, Wire. whatever else, your side, your side gig was I'm going to be a comedian. And I know you even had a side gig before that. Well, so yeah, I owned a That's limousine. That's a limo stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I had a limousine company, but I had sold it by that point. Um, comedy, I didn't start out, obviously, as a side gig. I started it out just as a coping mechanism, if you will, something to give me some kind of hope, which it did. And then it picked up very quickly for me, which I describe in detail in that book. And it turned into a real paying profession for me on the side. And it started taking me literally around the country while I was still a fireman and I would pay guys to cover my shifts so I could fly to Alaska to do shows. And I was like, how in the fuck did this happen? And it happened quickly and rapidly for me. I don't know. I see so many comedians. They have to go for years and years. I mean, I'm talking 10, 15 years to be able to get to do some of the things I was able to do in a short amount of time. And I think it was just, it was my time for those things to happen. You know, it's not putting myself on a pedestal or anything, but the right pieces started to fall in place for me because I took advantage of the opportunities that fell in my lap or presented themselves, I should say, versus not doing them. You know what opportunity I'm talking about when, when, since you read the book about the comedy competition, mm-hmm. that was the first opportunity for me. Had I not done that, there's no way I'd be where I am today. That one little small comedy competition, not small, but I could have opted out of going to that. That was a 10 hour drive for me as a fireman who didn't have any money. I was living broke as shit. I couldn't afford to drive to a comedy competition 10 hours away, but it did because the opportunity was there and I won it. And that's what set the stage for me moving forward. And had I not done that, I would have been that guy 10, 15 years in the making trying to get to a paid position in comedy. Because you were able to then at that point feel comfortable leaving an apartment. Not no. that, not that you left. <laughs> of no, course. I, I, so I didn't, I never felt comfortable leaving the department. I never wanted to be a full-time comedian. I thought, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to be a fireman doing what I love and have this amazing side life. It was going to be just a side life for me. 
I was going to be flying around the country telling jokes, but coming back and fighting fires and being with my bros inside the firehouse. But that didn't happen. The universe had other shit in store for me. I know you go into that in a book, but do you want to talk about that now or just save that for, for the, everybody reading the book of why you ended up leaving the department? I'll just put it like this. Um, it's in detail in the book, but my symptoms, um, everything I was struggling with got so bad that it cost me my career in the fire service because I didn't seek help soon enough. Although I did seek help, it just wasn't soon enough. And then there was no, there was no stopping what was, what was set in motion for me. Um, and I ended up having to leave the fire service and not, and it wasn't in, 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 a, in a good manner. It was violent is something I'm not proud of, but yeah, that's all in the book. And it's, you don't, I'm not, this isn't me trying to get people to go buy the book, but there's no sense in writing a book if you just tell everything on the podcast, but it's, this isn't, I'm not withholding any pertinent information here. This just tells how, how messed up you can get in this, in these lines of work. If you don't get help, you know, um, I was physically violent too many times at work and it just caught up to me. At, at what point, I mean, because there was some point in which you were finally able to kick alcohol. Where did that kind of fall into the timeline? I'll tell you when that fell. That fell the day after I got married. Um, July 7th of 2012, I got married. And I actually got drunk at my wedding because I was still, I'd left the fire department in March of 2010. This is two years later now. I was touring the world doing comedy everywhere in other countries. And I was proud of what I was doing because I felt like, look, I left under circumstances outside of, or that were different than what I wanted from the fire department. And I was making the best life I could for myself. I was doing something I loved doing comedy. I was, um, I was doing very well with it, but I was still having problems. And I was still wearing that shield of armor. Um, I wasn't getting the necessary help I needed. I was still wasn't being 100% honest with myself. I was traveling so much coming home. And then when I was home, I didn't want to be home because I was just a miserable person. And comedy was my escape. So I got married in 2012 and I got drunk at my own wedding. You know, like, and I, I mean, drunk, not, hey, I got a buzz and we had fun. I got fucked up and to the point where I passed out soon as we got into the, the, um, the little cab to go to our hotel, I blacked out and the cab driver had to carry me to my hotel room. And he sat downstairs in the hotel with my wife in her wedding dress and ate cold grits. Um, cause grits is a big thing down here, sh shrimp and grits. And mm -hmm. uh, this is like, I mean, it's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not just shrimp and grits. It's, um, I'm not custom. What's the word I'm looking for? in the culinary world high-end shrimp and grits if you will and he sat down there and, and ate cold grits with my brand new wife while i sat upstairs and in, in a complete blackout and i woke up the next morning i told her i said i can't do this she's like what be married i'm like no no, no. i can't i can't 
I can't live my life drinking anymore. And I said, I got to face this shit. And so uh, that's what I did, man. I haven't drank a drop since then. It had to be hard to do as uh, being a seasonal alcoholic like you were at that point in time. Yep. Um, and then, and going and working at these clubs where you're surrounded by, you know, two drink minimum. Yeah. Yeah. So in my profession, you're surrounded by alcohol. It's one of those things though, man, I, I had a, I, that's when I really started having a good internal look at myself. Like, who am I? Where am I heading? Where am I becoming? This is going to be an uphill fight. It's not going to be an overnight thing, but I thought, what can I change in my life immediately to make my life better? What is a poison that's in my life that is, it's there. It's not doing me any good. And it was alcohol. I was like, all right, get rid of that because what good has come from my life from drinking other than getting a buzz and being numb for a little while, nothing. If anything, it's made me be an asshole. It's made me look stupid. It's made me sick. It's made me relive dark ass fucking moments. It's made me put a gun in my mouth. You know what I mean? Like it, mm -hmm. there was just nothing good from it. It was a toxic relationship, if you will. So I had to, I had to just get it out of my life and I did. And it's the best decision I ever made. And honestly, it was hard, but it wasn't as hard as you would think. Uh, the I think the thought of it is more harder than actually doing it. Mm -hmm. I'm surrounded all the time. We go to functions all the time. I'm always the sober guy. People, the hardest thing for me now is being sober around a bunch of fucking drunk people. Because then it's and, like, all right. Annoy the shit out of you. Well, you start plotting everybody's death. That's, and it's like, all right, how do I kill this person? This person being fucking annoying. And I'll just take you all out. No, I'm just kidding. But it's, it's very annoying. It sucks, man. But... It, it's good for me. All right. So you're on the road now all the time, full-time comic. I mean, how many weeks of the year is that, that you're, you're gone? Um, so it was 40, 40 plus weeks a year for six years straight. I was gone. And that's uh, some venues Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, some just Friday, Saturday, two shows. Yeah. Probably so what are we correct? So what it would be is um, if you work the big clubs, you would work, you'd normally either work Wednesday through Sunday or Thursday through Sunday. And on those off nights, what we do is as comedians, since we're already traveling and you're in an area, you try to find one-nighters. So if I'm on the other side of the United States, I don't want to fly back home and then have to go somewhere else. If I'm already out there, let's make the most of it. So the community, like the comedy community is very small in the grand scheme of things. And, and we know a lot of the same bookers and a lot of the same um, private venues that put on shows on off nights. So you'd find a, a Monday night, a Tuesday night, a Thursday night. So any night that you're off in a certain area and you go pick up a couple hundred extra bucks. And it was all about staying on stage. You wanted to just be on stage as much as you could. Cause that's how you get good. It's night in night out multiple times. There's times where I'd be on stage 10 times in one week doing multiple shows a night. And that's where that rhythm and that timing comes in. And so, yeah, sometimes you would be gone. When I say 40 weeks, I mean 40 full weeks. I would just be gone. And then sometimes I'd come home and I'd be home like a Monday or Tuesday and it'd be packing and I'm flying out on, on a Wednesday. Two, two questions regarding that. So, um, I mean, now you're gone more than you were even as a firefighter. That mm -hmm. has to be really difficult on your family, number one. And number two is with all this – COVID-19 Corona stuff going on. You haven't been on stage in a while. Three months. How, how you talk about being on there and getting that rhythm, that timing. 
I mean, you got to be a little worried about getting back into the swing of things too. I'm not worried about me, man. I'm worried about those fucking poor audiences that are going to have to witness this debacle when I get back on stage. <laughs> <laughs> so I just booked my first, um, first weekend of shows. I was booked all summer long and all those shows were canceled. And now I just, I'm being sent back to uh, Greenville, South Carolina, which is a fun, fun city, but um, I'm going to have four shows there. And there. My, my sister lives there. Oh really? Send her mm-hmm. out. But all she's right. going to have to come, come quickly. Cause that place seats like 200, but I think they're going to do limited seating due to um, the coronavirus. So it's going to be, I don't know what capacity they're going to operate, but it's going to be weird, man. And, I'm not going to stand here in my fucking living room and practice. I'm not going to look at it. I don't, I don't do that. It's going to be what it is. We, I'm going to learn from it and I'm just going to roll with it because sometimes I think, remember when we were talking in the beginning of this podcast, how do we want to do this podcast today? I was like, just turn it on. Let's fucking go. Yeah. I don't make plans. Let's just ride and, and let's let it be authentic. And that's what I'm gonna do with comedy. So let's nice. see if we can get them. Now, to, to that, speaking to that, that first part of that question, the being gone all the time, not being mm-hmm. home, being uh, just a, a truly a road warrior. Yep. With little ones at home, wife at home, that yep. had to suck. So I had a, had a two-year-old, a wife, a wife who was pregnant. She's a full-time school teacher, and I was never home, ever. I mean, I mean, I, I, mean, I was never home. She was a pretty much a single married full-time working mom. And I felt great because, you know, I was doing what I love to do financially. I was doing great. And, uh, but there was something missing, you know, I also had an obligation to be a father and a husband and I was failing miserably at that. And it was just because of my inability to be home. And then when I was home, I didn't really want to be home because I was still sick. I wanted to be doing comedy was my medicine, bro. I mean, it was, it was every bit of what I needed in my life to make me feel purposeful and to make me feel good. And I needed that. So kind of like you're an escape, if you will. Yes. If I will, that's what it was. That's exactly (laughs) what it was. (laughs) Um, And after a while though, man, you start seeing these kids, you start seeing the strain it puts on the family, you know, and it's, you know, not to mention, I'm not, it wasn't all fucking roses being gone. Now it's hard. I mean, I traveled so much that it just beat me down the fun part was being on stage. The travel sucked. So it was a culmination of both. It was, I saw what it was doing to my family. And honestly, I was becoming miserable from all the travel. I mean, I, because I was trying to escape reality so much that I was traveling so much that it was, it wasn't helping me. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it, I was flying into a city, renting a car, driving four hours, performing, flying back, turning a car in, hustling to get through airport the next morning to get to another city where you're there for a week. And, you know, and then, I mean, you just never knew what time zone it was, it was tough. So that, that ripped at me too. And so I made a decision to quit comedy in 2016 after I'd had my best two years, hands down. I mean, my last year in comedy, I made it on television four times. I, I got that album out and it hit top seven in the comedy rotation, top 100 comedy albums. And I had bigger things lined up coming and I just quit. I was like, fuck it. I'm done. I just got burnt out. I was like, fuck this. Wasn't having fun and uh, needed to reevaluate things. And so I got, came back home and I was like, all right, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better father. And actually I don't, I think it got actually worse before it ever got better. 
because I, I was in for some more turbulent times, not having that purpose anymore. <clears throat> so I got into, um, came home and I had a background in real estate too, because I always did shit on the side. And uh, I started flipping houses and started sort of crushing it, man. I mean, it was financially, we were good to go, but um, inside I was still hollow. I was, didn't have a, didn't have purpose. And I was always longing for that stage, man. It's just that stage always done something to me. It made me feel like that was where I needed to be. When you find that purpose in your life, you don't have to go searching for purpose. It finds you and you know it. When, 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 when you and purpose collide, you just know it. And I, it got so bad for me that I was Googling what's my purpose. I was trying to ignore that comedy was my purpose because I needed to be here for my family. You know what I mean? I needed this. The problem was I wasn't doing my family any favors because I was, I became so resentful towards everybody in my life that because I was so empty that um, it was either I go back to doing what I know I was meant to do, or I'm going to lose everything I have to, to including the people, the very people that love me. <clears throat> so that's eventually what I ended up doing. I, I went back to comedy in, uh, last year and it not only started to explode, I came back, redefined, refresh, and opened new doors into speaking about um, my traumatic experiences and, and started speaking at all these major conferences and um, speaking to the, the, the FBI, to um, the National Fraternal Order of Police, um, to various firefighter uh, conferences. And, and so now it's like these parallel and entities of comedy and speaking, it's given me a broader spectrum and, and a, a more defining purpose now. So when I do these conventions or these uh, conferences, now some of them I'll speak in the morning and, and show just how heavy this stuff is. And then at night I can show full circle how it's come around and how you also, if you're experiencing you can find your light. And that's my book is titled appropriately for my life, create your own light. You know, it's dark and it's heavy, but it's very, very fucking blissful at the end, you know, and you just got to be able to recognize that and make it come to fruition. And that's, that's what I chose to do. I was actually curious about that. You're able to talk about everything you went through mm -hmm. and then literally you're telling me you can flip a switch, flip that switch. Yep. And, and, you know, you know why? Because it's real. It's not fake. It's it it's legitimately real. Is the is I the can... is the comedy that you do? This is another question I had. Like you know how <laughs> part of comedy is I think uh, elaborate uh, elaborating, just adding adding stuff to it, uh, being a little over the top, and you don't know is that really is that a true story or are they just kind of making that shit up? So, like, one of the things I had with you is, did you really buy a motorcycle on Mother's Day? Is that true? Catherine. <laughs> yes. Come here. Okay, you don't have to get on camera. This ain't set up. Ask that question again. I just pulled her in here. Ask. Did he really buy a motorcycle on Mother's Day? Yes. <laughs> yes. With our first baby. With <laughs> first baby. Okay. That, that was the Mother's Day present. Okay. It was on sale. Yeah. Mother's Day sale, right? Yes. Yeah. Terrible. You can't make that shit up, man. 
terrible. So to answer your question, a lot of my comedy is very, very true. There's some embellishments. Embellishments, that's not, not elaborating. That's what I was looking for, embellishments. Thank you. Yeah, so, man, to tell a good story, you got to be able to embellish a little bit. You know, why, why tell you about the 12-inch the fish when the fucking thing could have been 17 inches? You know what I mean? It makes it just a little bit better. So, sure. yeah, you got to know how to embellish to, to an extent where it's um, still authentic and, and, and believable. I see guys, they'll, they'll embellish so much where it's like, there's no fucking way, you know? Sure. Um, I, don't, I don't do that. So the, the, the one toppers. Did you have one toppers? Oh, yeah. Where yeah. You we, were? Call them, yeah. we call them one uppers. One, up, one uppers. Yeah. yeah. All, but you're all fucked up where you are, so it don't matter. <laughs> one toppers. Get out of here. Y'all say popper soda. Pop. See, y'all fucked up. <laughs> um, so, anyway, yeah. My comedy, you know, I talk about being a dad, about being a husband, about being a fireman, about being a cop, about being a Marine. I just talk about funny situations and stuff like that. I don't, I don't have a character. I don't, I don't do that. I don't do funny fucking voices. I don't use props and shit. I don't do backflips off of the stage and land in a hey, puddle of water. The and come first, hold on. The first comic guy I ever saw live, Gallagher. Hey, and that's his thing. Sledge-o-matic get it get it daddy and it works for him but that doesn't work for me so what works for me is me being authentic to me no it's good it's good so, your album's great um what just take a little left turn real quick what made you want to i know you're speaking now about this but what made you want to decide to put this all down on paper and and get it out there i mean what was that how long had that thought been brewing in your head before you you finally like all right I'm doing this 10 years. Probably I started writing. I thought about it easily 10 years, maybe 10 years ago. But like I say in life, you can't force things, man. Things will happen when it's meant to happen. Right. And I'm glad it happened this way because I started, I started writing actually putting pen to paper five years ago, probably maybe a little bit more than that. I can't remember the exact time frame, but I took my computer out to a park. We were just there, my, my wife and daughters the other day, you know, I, I pointed to the little bench and I was like, you know what, you know what this bench is? And she says, no. So that's where I first started writing. And she goes, wow, really? I said, yeah. And I was like, but, but I scrapped that because I was writing from a different place. I was writing from anger. I started writing about the police department because I was still angry at what happened to me. And this is yeah. before I cleared my name. Um, and so I was writing from a very vindictive place and, uh, I'm glad that book didn't come out then because I've grown so much more since then. And, uh, I'm a more peaceful, happier, understanding person and accepting now. And that's why I'm glad it waited to have this book come out when it did, because I was able to restructure that into a positive message, right? I'm not upset anymore. I, I, like I say, I, I'm, I'm, thrilled that that police officer that chief fired me although at the time it didn't seem like that's what i needed in my life but that's exactly what i needed in my life because yeah. you think about it had that not happened i wouldn't have this beautiful family i have i would have stayed a cop i wouldn't have been affected by that sofa superstore fire i wouldn't have been in there being in there changed my life it unfolded and it opened all these different doors for me to go out and be able to do what i do now i'm the messenger I really truly feel that I'm the messenger that I need to go out and start speaking about this stuff. I needed to be fucked up. And I feel like, look, I'm not a, I'm not a, um, 
a religious person. I'm not really that spiritual, but I do feel that I was meant to endure a lot of this stuff because I'm strong enough to carry it. My whole life was prepping me to carry this entire load so I could go around and deliver this shit to let other people know you two are strong enough. You know what I mean? Sure. At your weakest, weakest fucking moment, that's when you got to find the absolute most strength inside of you. And I feel like that was put on me to, to help display that. Like I have to endure this to show you it's possible. Nice. Um, now going to starting back up with this comedy, you know, I know you had, you said you have your first date set up. Do you feel like this, this round you're going to have more of a kind of a balance, you know, not being on the road necessarily as much picking and choosing where you, where you're going to be, how you're going to be all that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. So as, as I got back into comedy last year, I, I knew that balance was the key for me, right? If I was going to do this and have a happy, well-rounded life, my personal and professional life needed to be more balanced. And I didn't have that in the old me, right? And it, and it affected every aspect of my life. So this time I actually practice what I preach now. And I have turned away certain, certain jobs or uh, shows because I'm like, look, it's not worth me being away from my family. Like I, I need that downtime. I need to be with my family. And it's like, I'm, I got to do um, another big podcast here. When is that next month? And I'm going to, to Montana to actually do it in person. And when I normally would have traveled by myself, I'm taking my whole family with me and we're going to make a vacation out of it. Why not? You know, so I'm including them as much as I can in my travels now versus trying to escape because I need them in my life, man. Nice. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, let me get you out of here. Usually I have like these 25 random questions. Not that I ask all 25, but I make you choose, but I actually had more questions in mind for kind of just comedy stuff that I wanted to know about. Okay. I was interested in learning from you. So favorite venue. I get asked that a lot. And so I've literally been fortunate enough to play some of the largest venues and some of the smallest venues to, I don't even understand how some places are venues. And I'm going to tell you this, and this is, going to sound so stupid but this venue is no longer there and it was my absolute favorite to play given being on stage in front of thousands and thousands of people or playing this venue in front of 45 people i would take this venue all day this venue was in a place called um the hell's the name of the town now i can't can't remember Fort mill south carolina it just happened to be in my own state and it was this little, little club in the back of a restaurant. And it was, there were, I got to paint the picture for you so you can understand. There was a low ceiling. It was probably eight foot high and it was rectangular, right? So when you stood on the stage, there was only one row of chairs in front of you. And then there was a wall. And then to the uh, left and right of you, to the left and right of you were tables that extended from the stage all the way to the ends to fill out this rectangle. And it was like doing comedy inside of a single wide trailer with no furniture in it. Does that, does that, I can picture it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And no walls, right? So just the shell of the single wide and the stage is in the middle. And I used to reference that and I used to bust this town's ass about dude, we're doing 
fucking stand-up comedy in a goddamn single wide trailer. You know, it's like kick the doors open, turn the fans on, you know what I mean? So, and it's like, did y'all pull the wheels off so nobody can damn tow us off in the middle of a fucking show? And these people would lose it. But this is why I liked it. It was so intimate and the walls were, it was so small that it felt like you were doing it in front of thousands of people. It was a very intimate show. Now, when you're on stage in front of thousands of people, there's no intimacy. It's gone. It's almost it almost feels fake. You're just up there telling jokes and then the, the laughs will come in in waves, like in a, in, a, in a theater or an auditorium and they come through and it just doesn't feel personable. Yeah. If that, does that make sense? Now, no, it does. It does. Then you have, then you have where I was just supposed to be uh, next week at the Stardome comedy club in Birmingham, Alabama is the biggest comedy club in the country. Now, in comedy club standards, that's a 400-plus seater. That's a huge comedy venue because comedy, again, is meant to be intimate. Club-wise, that is a huge club for comedy. And that place is rocking. It's fun. It's always sold out. And it disappointed me that, you know, we got canceled because of this COVID thing. But I just literally was texting with the owner yesterday. So we're going to reschedule a good time to come back. Good. That's probably my second most favorite comedy venue. Are you doing any, any theaters? Yeah, I've done lots of theaters i mean i don't i gotta i have to look at my schedule right now because i got some stuff booked later in the year um i don't know if we have theater shows coming up but mm-hmm. ju- i just got back from one in where the hell was that florida um winter haven florida i mean i've done a lot of theaters cool so all right next question alive or dead doesn't matter if they were doing the comedy central roast with travis Howes, who would be there roasting you who would you want to be there? To, Who? Yeah, to <laughs> to pick on you for once. Well, it'd have to be somebody I knew, right? Um, or could it be anybody? I'm anybody. Sam Sam Kennison walks in the room. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that guy. I mean, obviously very talented. I just the screaming stuff I can't deal with. Um, I like Rodney Dangerfield. I'd love to hear what he had to say. Uh, obviously, Richard Pryor. He was my favorite growing up. Um, I'd like my friend Randy. He's one of my best friends to to do it. Um, honestly, I'd, I'd probably like my wife. Like, if she's could just get up there and just talk shit about me with yeah. no repercussions. Like, no. yeah, let's let's hear what you got to say in front of all these people. Um, yeah, I don't have anything outside of that. I don't really know, man. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I wanted to ask a question about. I was curious about. This is not really comedy, but. Um, I meant to add this, ask this earlier, your mother, was she more scared or not maybe scared is not the right word, worried about you being Marine, firefighter or cop? I'd say a police officer. Let me tell you why. I think with the military, not taking anything away from them because I'm a huge supporter of the military. So this, you gotta be careful when you say this, so it's not perceived the wrong way. The military, they're in conflicts for short periods of time. And if it is long periods of time, they're rotated in and rotated out. Okay. Police officers don't have that luxury. They're in a fight for their life every single day that they go to work because there are people that want to kill them. They are threatened off duty. I'll show you literally a Facebook message right now, but I can't hide the person it was from. I just saw a Facebook message of a police officer that I know. Her house was shot at last night here locally. 
shell casings are in their driveway. They have two little kids. So even when they're not on duty, when they're off duty at their fucking houses and uh, in bed, their lives are threatened. People don't understand that. It's very, very real. And it's not just during these times. When I was a police officer, I had to carry my weapon everywhere off duty because I police. I lived in the city where I policed and my life was threatened multiple times. I had multiple people tell me they wanted to kill me. They were going to kill me when they got out. And you got to take that seriously. So I think my mother understood just how dangerous it was because, you know, she heard some of the stories of some things and, and you know, um, it's like you're in a combat zone constantly. And it's, I ain't saying it, man, because it's, I, th I think it's on both sides, not to get political again, but both sides don't really understand the other side. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There has to be some compromise. It's dangerous for both of them. So, yeah, I think to answer your question, definitely law enforcement. All right. No, thank you for that. And I realized you wanted to end this on a happy note, and I kind of pulled Jesus, that rug right out. My name. Fuck, man. What a dick I am. I'm sorry. What's What's next for you? As far as you got any, you got a book out. What was that yeah. book called again? It's called Create Your Own Light, um, Finding Post-Traumatic Purpose. Where can you find that at? So if you go to Amazon, you can find it on Amazon. So I, I had this crazy idea that I was just going to distribute all my books myself right here from my house, right? And then I, when I put it out on Facebook, I started getting such an overwhelming response. People were sharing it and I was getting people I didn't know messaging me. First responders, military people, everybody. I told my wife, I said, look, I'm not going to be able to handle this. There's no way because when I go back on the road, what happens if I'm gone for a week and orders are coming in? I can't fulfill those orders, you know? And I started looking into Amazon and I was like, look, I'm just going to have to partner with them. So they're, they are now my distributor. It's my product. I wrote it, but you can only get it through Amazon. But if you go into the search and just type my name, Travis Howes, H-O-W-Z-E, you'll find it right there. I mean, it's a big black book with me on the cover it says create your own light, finding post-traumatic purpose. Um, I can also, I also encourage people anytime I do a podcast or whatnot to find me on social media. Cause I am very, very easy to get in touch with. Um, and I can, I can help guide you to, to that book if you need, or if you just want to be friends, uh, I'd love to, I'd love to have that. Cause I tell people all the time, man, I can't do what I do in my world without the support of other people. This is not, a one man show. I'm just the face of what I do, which is obviously it's not some fortune 500 company, but I can't do it without people supporting me. You know, um, sure. I, I, I told some folks the other day, like, like who's your marketing team? And I go, my Facebook friends, I, I was approached by a very large publishing company that wanted to take my book. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to go that route because I want to be in full control of my story. This is mine. This is my personal life. It's not about, it's not about dollars for me. It's about authenticity. The method, right? That, 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 and the authenticity behind it. It's like, look, man, this is authentic. It's real. It's me. And I'm not going to change it because you think to make it a better seller, I should pull this out and um, juice this part up a little more, juice this down. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell this book. Every word in this book is my writing. There's no ghost writing in this book. It's all me hundred percent. That's right. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of, Stuff like, uh, oh, Big Blue. Yeah, you just learned a message about Big Blue. Uh, Big Blue, the you know, well, some kind of something to do with the horse. Yeah, you have to yeah. read the book. You have yeah, to read, read the, the book. book, man. That's that's good is, stuff, man. Is is there any uh, yeah. any thought of doing a, another album? 
Yeah, I think eventually because what – so here's what happened with me with comedy. I start. I had to get back to doing what I was used to doing, which is the – I used to do the same hour. And all comedians, we do that. So when we do an hour show, it's normally the same hour. We'll pull in some new stuff here and there. I had to get used to being back on stage, getting that one hour that I did very, very what we call tight, like getting the rhythm and, and, and timing and everything. And I got that, and right when I finished it, COVID happened. Oh. Boom. So in order for me to develop a, a, a new album, I have to get back on stage because you can't just get on stage and say, all right, I'm doing a new hour right here. Do you, do you have a hometown like a uh, area where you can just practice uh, like special guests tonight? You know, yeah. I, I'm lucky enough to have, you know, living close to Dayton. I used to, I mean, half a dozen times I just randomly happened to be at our local comedy club and Dave Chappelle walks in. You know, so I didn't know if you had something like that too to practice. We stuff. don't, we don't, man. Charleston does not have a big, um, as big as this city is now. I mean, it's a big place now and it's, uh, we don't have a full-time comedy venue. Um, so I have to go either to uh, Myrtle beach or Atlanta, places like that. But, uh, no, I don't. So my thing was I was working the road so much that I always had a place Okay, and that's, that's what kept me sharp. Um, so I'm going to try to develop a new hour, but that takes me getting back on stage, working my current hour and doing five minute new jokes here and there. Like I started, I built an entire 15 new minutes on being a dad um, and being home for the last three years. And that joke was nailing it. It was going so good. And then COVID happened and I'm like, fuck, now I got to remember all that shit. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, where do, where does everybody track you down? I know we, we know where to get your book on Amazon. Yeah, yeah so website. you can yeah my website is you can the easiest way to remember it is funnyunderfire.com and it'll link you to my site which is my name travis t-r-a-v-i-s house h-o-w-z-e.com there's the same site and through that site you'll see my social media links at the top or you can just go directly to social media and find me either on instagram or facebook i don't do twitter um travis house t-r-a-v-i-s h-o-w-z-e and you can find me I got a fan page, personal page, personal pages. I think it's at its limit, um, but you can certainly follow me there or on my fan page. Perfect. All right. I cannot, and I mean this, thank you enough for your time, for you putting yourself out there all for the betterment of other individuals out there. Hey man, I can't thank you enough for your time. I mean, cause without your voice, I can't get my voice out. So it's a, it's a collective team effort and I really appreciate that. All right. So everybody one last time, Travis house, go see him, check out his website. He's going to have his tour dates up there. You know, see yeah, I got this. If he's coming to your area. I'm telling you, man, this book is like, I'm, I'm it's, I, I can't get enough help with this book. So if you get the book, please leave a review. It's very important. Good, bad, or indifferent. I appreciate all of your reviews on it. It's just a, a very hard look into my life and the turbulent moments I had and how I was able to not only overcome that, but actually find, um, purpose in my life again and go on to hopefully helping other people and if you could help spread that message of that book if you enjoy it um, and if you don't enjoy it I just highly suggest you keep your mouth shut <laughs> <laughs> no man your opinion really matters good bad or indifferent but um, yeah so help me get that book out there and then uh, hopefully this will turn into a broader message that we can get to um you know bigger platforms at, at different points and, and and keep spreading it and helping people along the way and we're all doing it together this isn't just me perfect nice, nicely said my friend again thank you for the time i really uh i learned a lot from you 
um, powerful, powerful stuff between you and the book. So thank you again. Hey, it's my pleasure, brother. I appreciate it. You stay safe out there and tell all your guys hello from me. I will. All right. Take care, my friend. All right, bro. Bye-bye.